This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Five minutes after the hour, it's Monday, December 13th. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Lucy, Virgin and Martyr. I'm John Morales. Glenn Leverens is enjoying the day off today. Thanks so much for joining us this Monday morning. In the third week of Advent, can you believe it? Only 12 more days until Christmas. Now, we start this morning with heavy hearts. Uh, Bishop William Medley of the Diocese of Owensboro, Kentucky, is asking for prayers. We all need to pray for all the victims and all the families that were devastated by tornadoes this weekend that ripped across Illinois, Missouri, Arkansas, Tennessee, and especially Mayfield, Kentucky, where more than 80 have died, could be as many as 100 altogether, including three children in a candle factory that was absolutely leveled, and six more died in an Amazon facility in southern Illinois. My heart goes out to all of those families in those five states uh, who are going through this tragedy just before Christmas. As you heard uh, in the news, Pope Francis is praying for the victims. Uh, He prayed yesterday in his Sunday Angelus. And so we all uh, keep every one of these uh, families in our prayers, in our hearts uh, here this morning. We start every hour giving thanks to the Lord and uh, praying through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we do every day, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. This is a powerful psalm with the important reminder that even in the face of trouble and the most difficult of circumstances, God is our refuge and our strength. Scripture doesn't talk about the absence of tough times, but the Lord promises his presence in the most difficult and most trying of times. As Catholics, we know that Christ is present in the scriptures, in the word of God, in the priests, in the faithful. He's especially present in the sacraments and in the Holy Eucharist par excellence. The Lord is with us, and we pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. That's 888 914 
1-800-273-8649. Now, as we uh, end this year of 2021, uh, many organizations, companies, and teams are starting to get together to set goals for next year. But should we set goals for the most important organization possible, our marriage and family? Joining us now is licensed marriage and family therapist Doug Hinder to talk about the importance of setting goals for next year as a married couple. Doug's passion is working with couples to help them live the married life that God intended from the beginning. Doug's been married for 40 plus years to his incredible wife, Shirley. They have nine children and five grandchildren. Good morning, Doug. Welcome back to Morning Air. Thanks so much for joining us. It's good to be with you once again. Same here, John. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Doug, um, why is it important to take some time uh, here at the end of, of the year and set some uh, goals as a, as a married couple? Yeah, you know, planning planning is important for success in anything you do in life, right? And you know, the old saying: if you don't uh, plan, then you plan for failure. So, uh, you know, and there's nothing we do in life that's more important than our marriage, and yet oftentimes we leave it to chance. You know, we don't we don't plan it. We don't get actively involved in managing it, and so, you know, I, I ask couples often, listen, is your marriage the same today as it was five years ago? And they say, well, no, no, it's not. Well, will your marriage be the same five years from now that it is today? Well, no, probably not. Well, this marriage you'll have five years from now, are you going to leave it to chance or will you make it the result of conscious intent? And can you set a plan in place today that's going to take you through the future that's going to, you know, assure a strong, happy, and, and, and healthy marriage. And so if we plan it, I think we can be assured that we can have a really good, happy marriage going forward. Doug, when you talk about goals, uh, you're talking uh, about looking ahead to five years, but uh, what type of goals uh, should we break it down to a much smaller uh, time range? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I, you know, I would offer, I, I think there's two suggestions on, on what we can do uh, now, you know, and we're in Advent, right? It's the season for, for preparation. And uh, so it's a couple things we do now to, to prepare for starting marriage. So I'd say two. One, there are some specific things we can do ourselves that will improve our marriages, independent of our spouses. Whether or not they want to make the marriage better, we can all by ourselves do things to make the marriage better. So I think we can set some goals around that. And then the second thing, things you and your spouse can do together in terms of joint resolutions to, uh, to, to strengthen and build your marriage in the coming year. So I think, you know, the, the, the first thing to realize is uh, behaviors trigger emotions. So there is literally nothing you can do or say that won't trigger an emotion in the part of your spouse. Now, oftentimes these emotions that get triggered are so insignificant we're not even consciously aware of them. But sometimes we are, especially the negative ones. We're pretty conscious of the times we get irritated or annoyed or angry with our spouse. And so I think individually, if we change our behaviors, that will change our spouse's emotions. And if we can remove negative emotions from our spouse and replace them with positive ones, that will improve our marriage. So it brings up the question, how do you change that behavior? It's got to be more than just willpower. Um, yeah. Maybe uh, from a spiritual perspective, the importance of, uh, of tapping into prayer and asking the oh. Lord for help to please help me to be kinder to my spouse. <laughs> yes. Yeah, not just, not just our Lord, but our guardian angels. I think our guardian angels can be very, 
powerful allies for us and to invoke not only our angel, but our spouse's angel to help, especially in times of conflict, I think is important. But I think, you know, the, the first thing is to, you know, and prayerfully, I think, uh, you know, identify those things that, uh, you know, that I'm doing that's triggering negative emotions in my spouse. And those generally would fall, I think, into two broad categories. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first would be, you know, criticisms, you know, pointing out our spouse's faults, using harsh words, rolling our eyes when they say something to us, or these non-word utterances, you know, we kind of grunt or groan when they say something. So criticisms generally trigger negative emotions. And then defensiveness, you know, when I'm trying to prove I'm right and you're wrong, and, uh, you know, trying to win every argument, every disagreement. And I, man, you know, if you, if you win the argument, you do it by defeating the person who you love most in the world. And is, you know, is that really what we want to do? I mean, do I want to win at the price of really hurting my wife? I think not. And so, you know, yielding cheerfully, I think it matters a personal preference. But, you know, identify what I'm doing that's triggering my spouse negatively and, um, and stopping those things is the first part. Uh, so... Doug, in, in your work, um, how much have you seen the effects of criticism? Couples talking about my my husband is criticizing me all the time about this, this, and that, or my wife yeah. is constantly criticizing me. Um, how uh, dangerous can this constant criticism be? Uh, almost like a poison to, to a marriage. Oh, it is. It's absolutely a poison to a marriage, and I, I and it's and it's probably the most common thing we do wrong. And oftentimes, it comes. I think. From a, from a mistaken place of love. Like, so, you know, I love you, which is why I'm telling you how screwed up you are so that you'll get better. But it's, we know that if criticism actually helped the other person improve, we'd all be married to perfect people. In about a year, we would just criticize all their defects, they would change everything, and they'd be perfect and we'd be perfectly happy. So we just know that criticism doesn't work. But, but it's, it, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the water dripping on the rock, it just slowly erodes the marriage and causes a lot of damage. Now, the solution to this, right, at first is quit, quit criticizing because it doesn't work anyway. But number two is, is um, you know, identify whatever negative emotions that we have towards our, or negative feelings we have towards our spouse and replace them with positive ones. So, you know, I, I reference often Dr. Dr. John Gottman, who's done, he's the number one researcher in marriage. And he researched on thousands of couples. What he found was that um, for, for, for your partner to feel loved and respected and appreciated, they need to hear 20 positive things for you from you for every one negative. That's a big ratio, right? You got you got to do 20 good things to undo one criticism that you level. And so, and so you've got to, you know, you, you, the, the way to do that is is catch your spouse doing something right and acknowledge it. So look for your spouse to do something right, whatever it is, you know, putting the dishes in the dishwasher or just playing with the baby or smiling at the baby, right? So, so find them doing things right. Make a list of everything that you like about your spouse, everything you appreciate, every good quality they have. Make a list about that and look at that list often. Crowd out the negatives with an abundance of the positives. And now one of the good things, John, if you do that, if you make that list, you know, go off to the store, buy a box of these, you know, these little greeting cards, right? They, you know, they're blank on the inside, outside they got some hot air balloons or some rainbows or something. But write down in each one of those cards one thing you really like about your spouse. And then leave it two, three times a week. Leave it in front of the coffee pot or by the mirror in the bathroom or on the seat of the car. So when they're going through their day, all of a sudden they'll bounce into this card. They open it and they'll say, hey, 
just want you to know I really appreciate what a great mother you are, what good care you take of our children. And, and that's a good way to crowd out the negative with an abundance of, of the good. One other idea on this regard is keep a gratitude journal. Keep a journal of all the things you're thankful for with your spouse. And there's great research out there now that, that, that where they've asked control groups to, one, you know, just go through life, you know, keep a gratitude journal. And they measure how happy they are, you know, 60 days down the road. And people with a gratitude journal always score much higher in general happiness than people who don't. So keep the abundance of good thoughts coming, and that crowds out the negative thoughts. These are all uh, fabulous ideas, uh, Doug. I, I love the idea of of keeping a journal and and listing all the positives because it's so easy to focus on the on the the negatives, the little uh, criticism yeah. things, and and forgetting about all the pluses, all the wonderful blessings that one may have from from yeah. your spouse. Yeah, and I, you know, and and that's just it, right? And the negatives are just so much more powerful than the positives. And so the, the, the temptation is over time, we fall into what Gottman calls a negative sentiment override, right? Just kind of look at you through a negative lens. And, you know, we, we find what we look for. And if I decide, man, you know, you're just, you know, you're, I, just not, I don't like you quite as much anymore. Well, I find reasons to reinforce that. But if I decide you really are a great person, well, I find reasons to reinforce that. So look for the positives and you'll find them in your spouse. We're joined this morning by Doug Hinder, licensed marriage and family therapist. We're talking about the importance of setting and aligning goals uh, for the upcoming year as a married couple. And um, Doug, uh, you're giving us some really good uh, practical advice. Um, what about setting uh, those, those goals uh, as we get ready to, to start the new year? Yeah. So as a couple, and I... Here's the deal. I, you know, when I ask couples this, listen, are you willing to make a 1% investment in your marriage every day? Just a 1% investment. And every couple says, of course, 1%, I can do that. Well, 1% comes out to about 15 minutes of your day. And successful couples can often find they just carve out 15 minutes a day to sit and get to know each other at a deeper level. Now, no phones, no TV, no children, just the two of you together working on your marriage. And I know what some of your, uh, some of your listeners are probably thinking, John, they're thinking, what will I possibly talk about for 15 minutes? That could be the quietest 15 minutes of my day. But it doesn't have to be the case, right? So the idea is develop a curiosity about your spouse's world, right? Ask lots of questions about what's going on in your world. What are you doing? What are you feeling? You know, what are your, what, what are your fears? What are your joys? What are your hopes? You know, ask a lot of questions. Tell me what's going on in your inner world, in your thoughts, right? So I can be a part of that, right? And then some goals. You know, what kind of life do we want to live next year? And what kind of life do we want to have in five years? And think about it in terms of, I think, family culture. What kind of culture do we want to have in our family? What kind of traditions? You know, what does Saturday morning look like for us? And what does Sunday morning look like for us? And and off to church as a family, and, and then dad cooks breakfast while mom gets to read the paper and have a slower morning. And what are those traditions that we want to build, uh, you know, into, uh, into our family life? And, and again, you use this time to affirm, to compliment, to praise your wife, your, your husband, what I really appreciate about you and what's so special about you and how grateful I am that God brought you into my life and, and uh, how blessed I am 
uh, in our marriage. And so it's just time to affirm, compliment, and get to know each other at a deeper level. One percent a day, and that's the secret sauce. What have you found uh, in your experience when you suggest this to couples? Uh, do do couples think it's a great idea? Do some cu- couples uh, feel like, hey, how am I going to spend 15 minutes when I, I don't have five minutes? I'm so busy. Yeah, that's the toughest thing, right? That everybody says this is a great idea, and every couple struggles to find the 15 minutes. And especially if you've got young kids. <laughs> it's really hard if you've got toddlers and, and young kids and they get a little bit older you can say hey listen just you know your mom and I are going to go into this room and sit and have a conversation you guys stay out but uh, when they're young it's really hard and so what I tell couples is listen if you can only do five minutes do five you know five minutes of me listening to you tell me why you love me and you hearing why I love you that's pretty good and if you can move it up to 10 do that and but with 15 being the ultimate goal but don't say well I don't have 15 minutes I'm not going to do it If you got two minutes, take two minutes just to look at each other, tell each other that you love each other, and come up with one really good thing that you appreciate. I'm reminded of uh, our Relevant Radio CEO, Father Rocky, uh, in his marriage insurance book, uh, recommended that uh, couples, uh, married couples should go on a date at least once a week, just go out and yeah. spend some time together, kind of uh, sort of in the same spirit as, as this idea of spending 15 minutes per day together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. So the secret sauce is, as I talk about it, consists of three ones, 1% a day, one date night a week, and one weekend getaway uh, a year. And I think in Father Rocky's book, he talks about the date night. And I think he talks about the weekend getaway too. It's been a little while since I've read his book, but, but uh, that's the deal. One, one, and one. So 1% a day, one date night uh, a week. And the date night doesn't have to be, you know, a $200 dinner in a fancy restaurant. And the date night can be a trip to, you know, the ice cream shop, or it can just be a walk around the park. So it doesn't have to be a big elaborate thing. But the key is you've got to do the date night right. The date night is not about logistics. It's not about who's taking this kid to piano lessons and that kid to soccer lessons and who's paying the bills. It's about you and me and why I love you. That's what it's about. So the logistics, do not talk about logistics on the date night. The uh, the goals that uh, that we're talking about here, uh, specific goals that are that are meaningful to to um, both uh, members of of a, of a married couple. Uh, can you give us a couple of examples of some goals, uh, realistic goals that one should uh, try to uh, talk about? Yeah, I think you know um, goals about family life, right? Goals about. How much time are we going to spend with the kids? Goals, especially I would, I would like to see goals around dinner time, which is the most important time of the day for the family, and goals around Sundays, because there are so many demands placed on our time that it's easy to rob uh, family time in order for these outside commitments. And I think goals around what to say no to. We have to know what to say no to or else we get overwhelmed with all of the outside commitments. So. What are we going to stop doing in the coming year that we're doing now that's robbing us of the time we spend together as a family? I think it's a really good place to start. I think at the end of the day, uh, the the end game is to get our spouse to heaven. Uh, Their goal is to get us to heaven. So I think from that spiritual perspective, everything else flows. I agree. Right. And what can we do as a family to deepen our faith, right, and to help our kids fall in love with this unbelievable God that we have? Absolutely. Uh, tell us uh, where our listeners can go for uh, much more uh, at your website. 
Sure. It's, it's uh, happymarriageforlife.com. One word, happymarriageforlife.com. Happymarriageforlife.com. Doug, uh, thank you uh, so much for being uh, with us. Uh, many blessings uh, the rest of the way uh, here during Advent. Thanks for having me on, John. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. Doug Hinder, licensed uh, associate uh, marriage and family therapist, uh, happymarriageforlife.com once again is the website. We need to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, we'll be joined by Catholic evangelist Omar Aguilar. Uh, he'll explain and talk about the term Latin X, uh, a word that is controversial uh, for many Latinos. We're going to break it down and talk to it, uh, all about it with Omar. So stay with us. There's much more to come as Morning Air continues after this. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. From Maui to Maine, you're listening to Morning Air with John Morales, coast to coast on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Twenty-nine minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you on this Monday morning. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now, according to a, a new poll, only 2% of Hispanic voters refer to themselves as Latinx while nearly half find the term to be offensive, signaling that the efforts uh, from some politicians to reach Hispanics uh, with more gender-neutral language may be actually failing. Now joining us to talk about this controversial term, Latinx is Catholic evangelist Omar Aguilar, the Director of Religious Education for Mary Immaculate Church in Farmers Branch, Texas, in the Diocese of Dallas. Omar is also the host of several Catholic and pro-life programs on Spanish radio and television, and the author of the book Latino Catholicos en los Estados Unidos, Latino Catholics in the U.S. Good morning, Omar. Welcome back to Morning Air. Thanks so much uh, for joining us this morning. Always good to be with you. Uh, good morning, John. It's good to be back. Happy Monday to you and all. Ha happy Monday. I hope you had a, a fabulous uh, weekend celebration of the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe down there in Texas. Uh, well, uh, let's see. I was up since like uh, 3 a.m. Sunday morning. And I didn't go to bed until about midnight last night. So, yeah, I can tell you it, it was pretty good. It was really good. <laughs> wow. How was how it celebrated? I'm just I'm just curious. I know here in the Chicago area there was a massive, may have been the biggest crowd ever at the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe here in Des Plaines in suburban uh, Chicago. Yeah, this year was a bit different, John, because, well, you know, it, it fall on a Sunday, so uh, Mass, you know, takes priority over it. So some communities celebrated it on the 11th, some communities waited until last night and actually are celebrating it. This morning they're having, uh, doing the, the Mañanitas, the Happy Birthday, and doing an early Mass this morning. And then some other communities did it uh, last night, uh, well, what was it? So Sunday morning around 4 a.m. with the Mañanitas, the Happy Birthday, and then a 5 a.m. Mass, and then some other celebrations. So this this year, because it fall on a Sunday, it was very unique. So basically, it stretched from Saturday all the way until today. Well, I want to talk to you this morning and get your take on this uh, 
this term, this relatively new term, Latin X. I know as a uh, as a Colombian. Uh, Latino or Hispanic, and, and again, Latino-Hispanic uh, is, is pretty much interchangeable. But for you as a Latino of Mexican heritage, what goes through your mind when you hear the term Latinx? Well, we see, uh, and, and it's not only with this term, but in a, in a lot of different things, we see this tendency, uh, especially from the left, to always trying to change who we are to always trying to deconstruct the human experience and, and what it means to be a person. So to me, the, this whole term is, is just totally nonsense. And, but it's also at the same time, John, it's a very dangerous game to always trying to pretend to change who we are because we need to ask ourselves, well, where is it going to end? Where is, where, where is it going to be the point where we say enough is enough? We see we're trying to change who we are as a person. Now with this whole thing of trying to to change even the way we speak, the way we communicate. Uh, for some people that might be like, well, it really makes no difference. Oh, it does make a difference because once we accept this, then what's next? What's the next step? So it's a very, very dangerous, slippery slope. So we need to be very careful. But all in all, I find it totally ridiculous. And, and honestly, it makes no sense whatsoever. Well, words uh, do uh, make a difference. Uh, words have meaning. Um, I know, uh, according to this same survey, uh, they found that 68% of uh, Hispanics uh, cons consider themselves to be uh, to be Hispanic. In other words, they prefer to use the term uh, Hispanic. Uh, another 21% uh, Latino. Um, wh when you think of, of of your culture, what which term uh, have you preferred over the years, Latino or or Hispanic? Well, I guess I guess in the South, we over the years we have used uh, uh, Hispanic more often than Latino. But honestly, like you were saying at the beginning, uh, they're interchangeable. So either or will be fine. But obviously, here here in the South, you know, I guess Hispanic throughout the years is the more common term to be used. But also uh, over the, you know over the last uh, I'm gonna say over the last fifteen twenty years, uh, we start using the Latino uh, word more often. But either or, uh, yeah, they're fine. Um, where did this Latinx term uh, come from? Do, do you know anything about the origins of, of the term Latinx? I mean, as far as I can tell, like with many other things, you know, these things start in academia, in, in colleges, in, in, in you know, uh, university professors that sometimes uh, it seems like they don't have nothing else better to do than start trying to come up with this nonsense, with these crazy ideas. And obviously, you know, these terms, first of all, take a hold and, and a foot in, in, in academia, in, in upper societies, if we want to you know, use that term. And then obviously they start being put out and, and start pretending that this is the new way we're going to uh, speak. This is the new way the language should be going. And this is the new terms that we're going to use. This, uh, and, and so it starts from the top. And then it seems like he just wants to uh, trickle down to all of us. But once again, it's, it's totally ridiculous. It's totally nonsense. It's, to be honest, John, it's even offensive uh, to to try to change our language. Remember, Hispanic, uh, Spanish, in general, it's a gender language. You know, it, it's a female and male language, and and it's very clear. And and it's once again, as you were saying, words matter. And so every time we use these words, we are once again talking and, and, and expressing the human experience to one another. So to try to change that, even if it's just by one letter, it could be a very very dangerous game. 
The term Latinx, uh, how popular is it, uh, for example, in your parish uh, you know, as a director of religious education uh, there at uh, Mary Immaculate Church uh, in Farmers Branch, Texas? So have, you, have you seen anybody using that term? Or, because uh, from what I understand, only 2% of, of Hispanics actually like it. I mean, 2%. Well, I mean, that's a very small percentage. Well, I, I'm, I'm happy to report back to you, John, that it's zero. It's non-use whatsoever. And, and, and trust me, if someone used it, I will have to have a, a very nice and kindly conversation with that person regarding this, this horrible, horrible term. But yeah, so far, uh, yeah, I mean, I only seen it in social media. Uh, I have, uh, up to today, I haven't met anyone that, that have used it in a conversation, you know, that, that I'm being part of it. Do you see a, a connection between this gender ideology uh, and this word uh, Latin X? And, and what, what do you think are, are the, the risks of, of this term uh, becoming mainstream in, in our schools and even in our families? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this whole tendency of once again of, of, of to try to deconstruct the human experience, who we are, you know, it, it affects everything. And that includes the language, because, you know, uh, once we start accepting that, that, that there's no male, there's no female, just in the way we speak to one another, then what's next? Obviously, we've seen it already. This whole idea of trying to, to change the human sexuality and say, you know, you're not born as a man, you're not born as a woman, you are fluid. You know, when, as you go, you can, you can try to figure out who you are and then one day you might be a man and then the next morning you might feel like a girl and, and everything be okay. All of this, all of this is part of this terrible ideology of mentality of trying to change who we are as a person. And that is obviously not only offensive to us as human beings as common, and to common sense, but at the same time, it's an offense to God because we should never forget that we are created on His image. In the image of God, we are created. So when we are offending one another, we are not only not only offending ourselves, but we are offending God. And, and in a way, and in a way, society nowadays is trying to tell God, "Listen, I mean, this 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 idea was good. This was okay, but we know better." And throughout history, if we just look back in history, even we don't have to go way down the road. But even if we just look back in the last hundred years, every time that we as human beings turn away from God, bad things happen. And that's what that's why this is so dangerous because this is once again us turning away from God. Absolutely. And, and for many Hispanics, the term Latinx uh, absolutely uh, turns them off, as we've been saying. Um, almost 50% of Latinos are turned off by this term uh, Latinx. And um, there are some that are insisting on using this term, especially many progressives. Uh, do you think that these progressives are engaging in a, in a type of cultural Marxism? They're, they're trying to recast uh, the norms of society oh absolutely absolutely and 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 we see in it, it in so many different levels in so many different ways uh sadly you know in academia in in in, in schools in general you know starting even from you know elementary school middle school high school obviously in many colleges around around the u.s we're seeing this this ideology taking a hold and, and it's an ideology that in a lot of ways has been there for many many years and now it's just kind of coming out into the public uh, doing things more openly and so, yeah, it's, it's this whole this whole idea that once again, that everything that we've done 
up to today is wrong, that, that the way we communicate to one another is, is wrong, that the way we see one another as, as person, as a man, as a female is totally wrong. It's this whole idea that, you know, that there's a select group of, you know, enlightened people that know better than us. It's, it's, it's just totally nonsense. But sadly, there are some people that, that fall into that trap and say, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe we, maybe we did know better. And now finally we're trying to figure out who we are. So this whole, This whole games is, is just very dangerous and, and we should be careful. And yes, it's we, we can see it, thankfully, with a large part of our community, find it totally offensive. And once again, it just makes no sense. It's, it's totally ridiculous. I mean, the first time I, I, I read it, because I didn't even hear it, how it's pronounced. When I read it, I, I started laughing and I thought that it was seriously, I was that it was a joke. I was like, no way this can be real. And then over the years, we see it, you know, little by little being pushed more and more. But it, I, I was glad when I when I read some of these uh, uh, articles and, and, and these surveys saying that, you know, 40% of us don't agree with it and don't like it. It should be 99.9% of us, but 40% is it, 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 more than good for now. Do you have any uh, recommendations, suggestions on, on uh, what you say to, to young Hispanics to explain to them that th this term really doesn't make sense for, for the Latino community? Yes, it, it's very, once again, it doesn't make any sense and it's very offensive. It, it, it offends or, or, or intelligence. It offends um, or, or identity. And that's something that we should never, ever, ever forget. Where you come from, where are your roots, where's your heritage coming from? Maybe you know, you don't know at all, but believe me, all of us have a heritage, a background, and that's part of who we are. And, and, and regardless of what happened, we should be proud of who we are, where we come from, and we should never, ever, ever, Try to hide it away or run away from it because at the end of the day, that's part of, of, of our whole human experience and our culture, the way we think, the way we communicate, the way we celebrate, the things that we do. That's part of being human. That's part of the gift of our lives. So we, sh we should never, ever be, be ashamed of, of, of recognizing who we are and this whole idea of this term. That's what it's trying to do at the same time, to, 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 in a way to push us away from who we are. And we should never do that. When I invite our listeners, if you have an opinion about this term Latinx, if you are Latino and uh, this term uh, is you find it offensive and you want to uh, chime in and be part of our conversation, or perhaps you may have a comment or question for Omar Aguilar, uh, give us a call, 888-914-9149. We have open lines uh, as we speak, 888-914-9149. Omar, we need to take a short break, but uh, we're going to continue talking about this with Catholic evangelists and author Omar Aguilar. Stay with us. There's much more to come on the other side. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Get connected to the conversation. Call us now, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 46 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for being with us on this Monday morning as we continue 
our conversation with Catholic evangelist Omar Aguilar. We're talking about the term Latin X, a word that's preferred by only 2% of Latinos, but offending as many as nearly 50% of Hispanics in this day and age. Omar, welcome back. Oh, it's good to be here. Um, Omar, um, let's let's talk a little bit about um, the the problem with uh, everything trying to be gender neutral, which is what we're seeing here with this term uh, Latin X, uh, the term that that is uh, offensive to to so many um, Hispanics. Um, y- your thoughts? Yeah, well, once again, this whole idea of trying to make everything gender neutral, everything, uh, you know one size fits all it's totally nonsense because once again the human experience we ourselves we are created male and female and from and from then on everything everything begins everything starts so or all the whole human experience is based in this duality that comes from god that he created us as a male and as a female and and this is this is okay this is the way to go all of the sudden you know years later millennia later now we're trying to come up with a better way. Now we're trying to tell God that he made a mistake, that he was wrong, and we know better. And this whole idea is not only about the using of this weird nonsense term, uh, but also we can see it when, for, for example, you know, when we're talking about abortion, you know, this whole idea and this this way of seeing it, well, it's just a blob of cells or it's not a person or, or you know, trying to change the, the reality that no, there is a baby that is a human being that you're trying to kill, that you're trying to get rid of it. And so all these gender neutral ideas have terrible consequences for us as, as people and and large for society so it's it, it's once again it's a very slippery slope that we need to be careful and sometimes we need to take a stand and and at some point we have to say enough is enough once again where is it gonna end it, it now is this and that's what's gonna be the next thing and so for for all of us i'm glad once again that 40 percent uh don't like it or, or you know but it should be all of us <laughs> it, 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 it should be like uh all of us saying enough is enough uh this is totally not Again, as uh, we were talking about uh, before the break, uh, words have meaning. Words have consequence. I mean, using again the the uh, the abortion example, um, you know, you see in the mainstream media that pro-lifers are described as anti-abortion activists. Uh, On the other hand, um, people who are for abortion uh, are, are dis- described as uh, pro-choice. And so they're, they're trying to sugarcoat and to change the meaning of words we see it, especially in the defense of innocent human life. Yeah, absolutely. And, and because words matter and have meanings, once again, when we're talking specifically about the Spanish language, that is gender. It, 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 it is a gender language. So it is important that there's the 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 head of the household which is the the men the male you know the mother and these these terms matter because that's who we are as a community as a family and when we start changing the way we refer to one another and in a way we're starting to tell everyone like it's okay to 
change roles, you know. It's okay to do things differently. It's okay if now the woman wants to feel like a man. It's okay if the man now wants to feel like the woman. So all of these things go, go together. They're tied together. And so that's why it matters. Language matters. The way we communicate to one another matters. I mean, for us, for Hispanic, and I always say this to, to, especially to the youth, to the young adults, you know, we have two languages. The one that we use to survive, which is English, is the, was the language that we will use for, for all of our lives, right? But since we go to school, since we start, you know, when you go to college, when you find a job, and when you go out into the world, that's the language that we use to, to survive. But then we have the language of, of the heart, which is Spanish, right? Uh, for us, you know, is the language the, the first time we we hear the te amo that i love you that it sounds so different right because it hits right into the heart it hits right into who you are as a human being as a person and so we're always you know we're always having this beautiful dance between the, the, these two languages be, between these two ways of communicating it and it, it is an amazing language i mean you see it all over the u.s how especially the youth the young adults can go back and forth between spanish and english in so fluently so beautiful like i said to me it's, it's like a dance it's like seeing someone doing the waltz it's just amazing and beautiful and for us all of the sudden to say no that's wrong you shouldn't do that that's once again it's very ridiculous and it's absolutely it's super super offensive uh, omar you got me uh, smiling here just uh, thinking of the the spanish language in terms of of a dance but you're so right because think of words like uh, latino and latina obviously latina ends in an a latino ends in an o uh, there's a reason for the structure of Spanish to be set up this way. And so when you use Latinx, what, what is that? Yeah, like I said, the first time I, I read it, I read it somewhere. And and, uh, and I, I didn't even know. I was like, how do you pronounce it? What is this? Where is it coming from? I mean, it took me a while. I mean, at first I was in shock and I couldn't believe it. It took me it took me a while to digest it. And then I started doing a little more research. And I was like, oh, goodness heavens, this is just this is, you know, I think at first I thought it was just funny, but then the more you look into it, it's like, whoa, we need to be careful with these kind of things. And and for some of us, you know, because for some people will see it like I saw it the first time around. We are like, oh, people are just funny. You know, oh, that's just funny. But we need to be careful to also don't fall into that trap and to say, oh, it's just going to go away. Oh, oh, it's funny. You know, it's, oh, they're just, you know, they're just playing silly games. No, we need to sometimes be careful and to say, wait a minute, what's behind this? What, what's the ideology? What's the agenda behind this? Absolutely. 888 Sally is joining us uh, with some thoughts on this issue from New York. Good morning, Sally. Welcome to Morning Air. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. We love hearing you guys. Nice alternative here in New York to have relevant radio. So thank you so much for your existence. Um, I'm just going to say that my job, my position, I'm chairperson of World Languages in public school in New York. So this is some tricky territory to navigate. We do have students at the high school level and just the other day in the middle school classroom asking about gender endings and how, you know, how would you reflect someone who's transgender or um, who's fluid. So it's very tricky for us to navigate and we're, uh, it's very hard to know exactly what the right answer is because we certainly don't want to say that children, we don't want to eliminate the gender endings. You know, we don't, I don't want, as a, as a department chair, I don't want to at all set the tone that it's okay to eliminate the O's and the A's and we're all going to go with the neutral. But there's definitely talk in New York about 
what is the neutral ending going to be? So it's it's really hard, and and I just want to um, I just want to say that we're trying to figure out the best way to navigate it, where we can affirm kids who are traditional and feeling like no, you know, I want to know and I want an A and this is who I am, um, but at the same time, as a public school, we can't force kids to align with their biological gender. So it's really hard. It's just very hard. So I'm actually glad to hear about the research. So many people saying that they're not in favor of it. So that's, that's a great thing for me to be able to rely on to say we don't want to switch. We want to make sure we're honoring traditional feelings as well. Uh, Sally, I'm so uh, glad you bring up that point. I'm sure it's uh, it's more challenging in in a public school setting, for example, than it would be in a Catholic parochial school setting. Uh, Omar, uh, any thoughts? Yeah, first of all, well, thank you, Sally, for your phone call and everything that you do in, in, in your job. And yeah, it, and it is a challenge, but it's a, it's a challenge that would, first of all, you know, we need to do it kindly. We need to do it gently. But but at some point, uh, sometimes we just got to stick to the truth and, and, and stick to common sense. And in long term, you know, uh, well, whatever we do, we always need to be looking out and, and being honest to ourselves and those that we serve. And yes, it comes with a lot of challenges, but do not be afraid. It's been repeated in the gospel, I think. Well, in the Bible, 365 days times. So it's for every day. Do not be afraid to, to speak the truth. There you go. Sally, I hope that helps. Um, we're going to have to leave it right there. Omar, thank you so much uh, for being with us this morning. Oh, thank you, John. Have a blessed week. You too. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, Catholic evangelist Omar Aguilar. Now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called The Christmas Carol by Victor Perichin. When World War I erupted in 1914, launching the first great European war of the 20th century, soldiers on both sides were assured they'd be home by Christmas to celebrate victory. That prediction proved to be false. The men on the fronts did not get home for Christmas as the war dragged on for four years. During that time, eight and a half million men were killed with hundreds of thousands more dying from injuries. War to end all wars took a horrific human toll and transformed Europe. On Christmas Eve, in December of 1914, however, one of the most unusual events in military history took place on the Western Front. On the night of December 24th, the weather abruptly became cold, freezing the water and slush of the trenches in which the men were bunkered. On the German side, soldiers began lighting candles. British sentries reported to commanding officers there appeared to be small lights raised on poles or bayonets. Although these lanterns clearly illuminated German troops, making them vulnerable to being shot, the British held their fire. Even more amazing, British officers saw through binoculars that some enemy troops were holding Christmas trees over their heads with lighted candles in their branches. The message was clear. Germans who celebrated Christmas on the eve of December 24th were extending holiday greetings to their enemies. Within moments of that sighting, the British then began hearing a few German soldiers singing a Christmas carol. It was soon picked up all along the German line as other soldiers joined in harmonizing. The words heard were these, Stille Nacht, Heilig Nacht. The British troops immediately recognized the melody as Silent Night, Holy Night, and began singing in English, along with the Germans. The singing of Silent Nights quickly neutralized all hostilities on both sides. One by one, British and German soldiers began laying down their weapons to venture into no man's land a small patch of bombed-out earth between the two sides. So many soldiers on both sides ventured out that superior officers were prevented from objecting. An undeclared truce had erupted and peace had broken out. 
Frank Richards was an eyewitness of this unofficial truce. In his wartime diary, he wrote, We stuck up a board with Merry Christmas on it. The enemy stuck up a similar one. Two of our men threw their equipment off and jumped onto the parapet with their hands above their heads as two of the Germans did the same. Our two going to meet them. They shook hands and we all got out of the trench and so did the Germans. Richards also explained some German soldiers spoke perfect English, with one saying how fed up he was with the war and how he'd be glad when it was all over. His British counterpart agreed. That night, former enemy soldiers sat around a common campfire. They exchanged small gifts from their meager belongings, chocolate bars, buttons, badges, small tins of processed beef. Men who only hours earlier had been shooting to kill were now sharing Christmas festivities and showing each other family snapshots. The truce ended just as it had begun by mutual agreement. Captain C.I. Stockwell of the Royal Welsh Fusiliers recalled how after a truly silent night, he fired three shots into the air at 8.30 a.m. on December 26th and then stepped up onto the trench bank. A German officer who had exchanged gifts with Captain Stockwell the previous night also appeared on a trench bank. They bowed, saluted, and climbed back into their trenches. A few moments afterwards, Captain Stockwell heard the German officer fire two shots into the air the war was on again. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What a great story from Glenn and what a silent night to remember in World War One. Coming up next, our Sean Carney, the president and co-founder of 40 Days for Life, is going to be with us to take on the Supreme Court and talk about uh, the challenge to the Texas heartbeat abortion law, which is allowing the law to remain in effect. We'll break it down and talk about it. Plus, Catholic author Emily Jaminet asked the question, what are you going to give Jesus this year? for Christmas. Don't change that dial. There's much more to come as we continue here on Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 